Happy New Year to you, direct from the zoo. Here's a boy and his monkey, and it's home alone too. Again, hi eyes. In case you haven't guessed, it's Dunstan checks in. Hi, I'm your boy Kyle, and we're going back to basics and talking about tapes. Me remembering this cassette, and uh, now that we're way out of December, we can strip away these things resembling storylines and uh, celebrities showing up and interfering with my podcast. That's just so annoying. So we're just going back to some good old classic films from childhood that weren't necessarily good, but I watched fairly often, and if there's a film that's like that, it's Dunstan Checks In to a Hotel, which is the full title of the movie, Dunstan Checks In. Ah, uh, as you may have heard from that little sing-songy introduction, the premise of this film is, uh, they have a monkey and a precocious child try to stop ruffians of various sorts via hijinks and it's in a hotel just like the first two acts of Home Alone 2 and then the third act is just Home Alone 1 in the slums of New York because that's adorable also Donald Trump shows up for like 10 seconds because that was during his era where he just did cameos in movies that take place on his property those were the days yes but enough about him. We're here to talk about and remember cassettes like this. This is a film from the mid-90s. You can tell because it's a knockoff of Home Alone. And I don't know anything about who's really in it other than, okay, we've got Jason Alexander, Rupert Everett, and the mayor from Nightmare Before Christmas. There, it. I'm sure there's other famous-ish people but I can't be arsed to name them. I know there's female leads, but I am terrible at female names. It is a flaw and cross to bear of mine. But, uh, yeah, I think there's two important females. The one that they try and set up with Jason Alexander and the, the wealthy dowager who has to be humiliated and brought to heel by the end of the film, which, dear audience, she does. I'm not going to spoil that. I mean, I'm not going to not spoil that. Like, it's it's a Home Alone knockoff about a kid. She's an unlikable woman. She's either going to learn the error of her ways or be brought to heel. And learning the error of your ways when you're the wealthy dowager is a form of being brought to heel. So we're, we'll, we'll satisfy ourselves with that, I guess. But um, you can do all this by just having a kid in his own wits about it. But no, they have to throw in some twist... And that twist is a monkey. Because they, they had this habit of throwing in animals and stuff. Um, I'm not sure where that trend necessarily started. I, I'd have to think about it. Because there were a lot of monkey movies in the later to late late mid to late 90s. But, uh, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and blame this on Michael Jackson, who probably financed this film because it's got a precocious young boy and a monkey who I don't think was Bubbles, but hey, Young Boys and Monkeys were on vogue in the mid-90s, and 
Dunstan checks in was their apex, and I speak about apex like it was a mountain peak, whereas it's more just like a hill in suburban Illinois or eastern South Dakota where it's 70 feet off the ground, and it's just got a 70-foot incline, and it's not really that impressive unless there's nothing else going on, and that's pretty much Dunstan checks in. Um... I haven't seen it in probably 15, 20 years. This is going to be a, one of those good old strip downs. Me try to remember things and go from there. So, hey, uh, without any further ado, wow, I'm getting introductions and everything out of the way in under five minutes. So, hey, we really are getting back to I Remember This Cassette Basics. Uh, we didn't buy it on tape. We recorded it off of cable because, of course, we did. I don't think that thing was even available on tape. Just record off cable and then DVDs, once the rights. Had to make a couple extra hundred thousand dollars to line the pockets of executives. Because that's what the movie industry is really all about. Alright, hey, went over five minutes, whoops. Let's go. Next movie is going to be next scene. Starts now. I'm starting now. Our story begins in a hotel. No particular hotel for reasons that will be understood by the end of the movie. So, we'll, I think they just call it the either the Plaza or the Majestic. I'm getting Home Alone 1, I'm getting Home Alone 2 and Home Alone 1 and Dunstan checks in mixed up. Um, one of them is a real place. The other one is the made-up one in this movie. I cannot differentiate names because I am... Lower middle class, maybe upper middle class. I'm not in stay in a fancy hotel class growing up, nor now. So I don't know my top the line five star hotels. But this is a five star hotel. There's a lot of while we have the uh, opening credits. Hold on. When there's one, there's usually a thousand opening credits. And when there's one, there's usually two obnoxious sounds. But they are off now. And it, it's, it's a token thing this episode. Like, oh. <laughs> I've just got this checklist of things I need to do. Like, the phone has to go off multiple times in succession. I have to somehow bring up Grinch Night. And all those things have to come to pass. Otherwise, it's just not an episode of this podcast. But look, we are in a fancy hotel. Uh, the, the opening credits roll when they announce who all's in this turd of a film. Uh, and they have introducing whatever as Dunstan the monkey. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself because the monkey has not made the scene yet. It's just things going on in hotels, and then um, something happens in the kitchen, and some dumbass-looking chef puts the wrong food in the thing. And there's just general strange mischiefs going on. You think it's a monkey, but it isn't. It's just some kid and his older brother just kind of biding their time. Because I think this is a movie that takes place near the holidays because it it's a Home Alone knockoff. So it has to take place near the holidays. Because some of the premise is these kids are bored. They aren't in school because reasons. And they're looking forward to their vacation someplace far away because they have, you guessed it, an overworked dad that doesn't understand the meaning of family because I think their wife is dead. Well, his wife is dead. Their mom is dead. 
It feels like a Disney movie. I know. It isn't, though. It might be. I don't know. Look. Point is, the dad's working really hard to make the hotel work because he's the manager of this freaking awesome hotel and is the gopher of the owner who we will meet pretty soon. And he's got an equally overworked secretary who, because, you know, she's a female with a lot of lines introduced within five minutes of the movie, uh, but is not clearly not the mama, to quote a d- annoying dinosaur puppet, is going to be the stepmama by the end of the movie. How fun. Again, sorry with another another spoiler, but I don't feel like there's spoilers when they're hackneyed plot elements that are done a thousand times over and a thousand times again for children. Because that's just what they do. That's why they're so forgettable, but rememberable. Yippee. Uh, right, so... Uh, they do something stupid. Wait, no, they don't do something stupid yet. They did some mischief stuff, but got away with it all, but they get a... Uh, Stop by their dad or, or something. They just show a bunch of hotel things while there's credits. Uh, he asks about his son, who's one of the sons named, I think, is Neil. And the precocious kid will remain nameless for the rest of this movie for reasons. Uh, but I'm just going to call him Kid Precocious. Um, okay, his name's actually Kyle, like me, your boy Kyle. But uh, I operate in a realm where I cannot reference anyone other than me as Kyle. Because otherwise I think I'm talking to myself. Which, granted, that's what a lot of this podcast is. But it just gets confusing. Because I'm very self-referential in my own podcast. So referring to the character Kyle is like referring to Shane, but not Max. From Hocus Pocus. So I'm just going to call him Kid Precocious. Which is an excellent rap name for (laughs) an excellent little child who knows how to drop beats and charm the pants off of monkeys and parents and children in test audiences. So Kid Precocious, this precocious kid shall be. Uh, They're getting ready to go on vacation, but then the wealthy dowager comes in and she's introduced as the opposite of a million laughs, which means she is horrible, I guess. But she's also the owner of the hotel, and she comes in with exquisite news for Jason Alexander. And no, it's not that he's finally getting his residuals for Seinfeld and he doesn't have to star in movies like Dunstan Jackson and North. No, far from it. No, it's uh, some secret shopper guy is going to be hanging out in the hotel in the next week, and the hotel that he deems the best out of all the five-star hotels uh, gets a sixth star because that is definitely how hotel ratings work and it's not about amenities or th- or just general price points. No, I guess five-star hotels are rated like five-star movies. Not that anybody involved in the making, production, or writing of this film has knows what a five-star or even a four-star film is. With all due respect, I love writers above all other things, but the real the real people are the script doctors that definitely didn't greenlight the movie, but were just hired to make it better. But that plot element about the sixth star, that was from people that have no idea how star ratings work because they have never seen more than one and a half. Mm, mm, I am a salty little minx. This 
film around. So, yeah, uh, the wealthy dowager tells Jason Alexander, you can't go on vacation because we're going to have this gigantic party that can't go wrong in any way, shape, or perform, and you're my number one guy. A phrase which here means there's going to be a very lavish scene, and the haughty <laughs> will be brought down, hoisted by their own petards or children and monkeys in some combination. So, uh, they, while the wealthy dowager was taking care of everything, uh, Jason Alexander has been relegated to snooping around and trying to figure out who the secret shopper is because he has arrived. Uh, it is about this point where uh, Rupert, Rupert Everett makes the scene. Rupert Everett is, for those who don't know, a very British, very posh kind of fellow. He, uh, I can't do his voice because, again, lower middle class. I am just not fancy enough to do that sort of stuff, but I'll, I'll, I shall try. Yeah, I'm Rupert Everett. There we are. There we are. Did it. It's, uh, it's alright. He won't be narrating any Audible books, but uh, he's there. He is clearly a bad guy, because uh, in these kind of movies, if you have a cane and top hat and twirlable mustache, just so the kids make sure you're evil. So he comes in with his suitcases full of fun, and um, the wealthy dowager and Jason Alexander alike... Uh, much like a kid can look at that guy and say, that guy is definitely evil. We look at this, uh, Jason Alexander and the wealthy dowager and the secretary and everybody look at him and say, yeah, he's definitely somebody we need to accommodate things for. He looks rich. Because, uh, you know, people that look rich and people that are evil, for some reason, have a lot of layover in 90s movies. And again, people wonder why 90s kids grew up to be socialists. Ah, but yeah, he arrives, and it's now Jason Alexander's solemn duty to make sure uh, Rich Puke gets whatever he frickin' wants at all times. Because that's what hotels are all about. But only if you're rich, and only if the hotel can get something out of it, more than, you know, money. So Lord Chucklebutt comes into the lobby, and the wealthy dowager immediately takes care of him and bumps flamboyant Newman out of the way. Uh, flamboyant Newman, by the way, is uh, Glenn Shaddix, who is better, you might not know from Beetlejuice, he's the interior decorator guy, he's the voice of the mayor of Halloween Town and Nightmare for Christmas, uh, and ever since 2010, you may have seen him in something known as a grave, because he died. So he gets pumped out of the way in favor of Lord Autumn Bottom. He is, says, no, don't worry about me, let me put my, uh, let me take my luggage to my own room. I'm a grown man, I can do things myself. And so the wealthy dowager wants to give him everything he wants. So he says, okay, that's fine. So he takes his luggage to his room, he opens the matching luggage, and inside we don't see clothes or tuxedos or anything, we see a monkey. That's right, and that monkey is none other than Dunstan, the one who does the checking in during the movie. Ironically enough, he was not checked in at all because he was brought in a luggage container. So it turns out that Mr. Monopoly and friends are con artists. They go to hotels during lavish events, pass themselves off as rich, and steal silverware or some crap, and they use the money to continue this operation. Now, while Captain Fancy Pants 
is going around like clearly making alibis because he's hobnobbing with all the rich folks. The monkey, and as it will be explained earlier, monkeys, dear listeners, uh, go around and steal like earrings and silverware and garments and maps and cherry pits and food and all sorts of other commodities when that's how that's how the way the game is played so Lord Big Wallet uh, explains to Tunston that he has to pay attention otherwise bad things will happen because it's not like Dunstan doesn't know that but the audience doesn't know that so he has to explain it basically to us because villains have to do that all the time. Thank you so much, Shakespeare. Uh, he gets to work, because Dunstan is a very good con artist monkey. Uh, he gets the layout of the hotel. Uh, he's learning, like, laundry shoots and crap. Uh, ways that... Ways... Things that normal con artists can't fit in, but uh, monkey con artists can, because that's... For a cohort... I guess it would make sense that you can't have, like, Mini-Me or something like that as a sidekick because people would recognize the the small person, the little person that was hanging around. Unless you brought him in the luggage as well, but it's not as funny if it's uh, Vern Troyer checks in. So, hey. You know, you gotta, you gotta make the premise work somehow. Uh, Dunstan makes it about five minutes before landing with Kid Precocious, who has been told off by his father that he's been causing a little too much mischief and is now grounded to the hotel until they can go on vacation, which won't be for another couple weeks, because he has had extra work put on him because secret shoppers exist. And the secret shopper would appear to be Lord Thrift Me Not. How exciting, but um, Kid Precocious and Dunstan hang out. He introduces him to his brother later on because uh, right for now there has to be some more mischief that kind of happens because uh, the monkey's stealing stuff and breaking things and the person that's watching over the hotel who is Jason Alexander it does stuff um, oh no Kid Precocious doesn't meet Dunstan until halfway through the movie I just realized there is a thing with a laundry shoe when they do meet but uh Dunstan's, like, stealing stuff immediately, and the first thing he steals from is Jason Alexander's family. And you don't do that. That, that is one family you don't mess around with. It's the Mafia and the Jason Alexander and his kids in the course of this movie. Uh, Kid Precocious gets the blame. That's why he get, really gets grounded. Um, but he sets up a camera, and eventually stuff starts going down. Uh, monkey antics are going to be coming really soon. I mean, listen, dear listeners, the whole premise of this movie was just a vehicle to have a monkey do crazy things. A chimpanzee, by the way. It's not like they're Agrabah Boo Monkey. It is straight up a chimpanzee. Dunstan is a chimp while he checks in. Uh, the whole premise is monkey does crazy things in a hotel, and I'd bet my bottom banana that if... Dunstan checks in was a financial success. Pro tip, it wasn't. There would have been several Dunstan films where Dunstan does monkey stuff in various other locales. Like, Dunstan is on a boat. 
which is about Dunstan doing monkey things on a boat. Or <laughs> Dunstan checks in harder. Where, um, or Dunstan somethings with a vengeance where he's in Nakatomi Plaza and he kills Snape by pushing him out a window and starting the Christmas season. We would have had all that, but no. We just have Dunstan checks in. And for what it's worth, it's just Dunstan doing monkey stuff in some particular order to kind of advance the plot, but as the years go by, I realize none of it was important, but the entire point is to see a monkey doing crazy things. So I'm just going to list some of them off in no particular order. By the way, the reason that the rationale they had for having a monkey sidekick is uh, he moves around on outside windows because there's cameras in the hotel, and if you're on the outside of a multiple-story skyscraper hotel as a monkey, there's no way you're going to get spotted by anybody. So he swings from balcony to balcony and breaks in, like, the... What's the word I'm looking for? Balcony. That's That was the word. Patio. And he gets in the window, and that's when he steals silverware and glass eyeballs and false teeth and toothpicks made of gold. In the meantime, um, he goes in a sauna, hangs out with um, Glenn Shattuck's uh, fancy, fancy dude. Uh, it's awkward because he jumps around and makes monkey sounds and Glenn Shattuck's is like, well, that's some interesting things to say. <laughs> um, he kicks Glenn Shattuck's puppy off of a balcony because the puppy was a witness. The dog, however, just lands in a garden near Glenn Shattuck's, who is still in the spa. He um, makes out with the wealthy dowager because the wealthy dowager is cheating on, I guess, her dead husband, which was really funny for a uh, seven-year-old me and single-digit family members that were also watching the movie because, hey an old rich woman making out with a chimpanzee. Pretty fucking hilarious. Um, he goes through the laundry chute, falls falls down stuff. And he's stealing stuff along the way, but he's just not stealing good stuff. And so, in between all of these antics, uh, there's something with a toilet. In between these antics, he returns stuff to... Professor Radigan, and he's not happy about it, and then it reveals that, in addition to being a con artist and a rich person, uh, he also works for a, a lab or something, because he refers to the other monkey, because uh, there's a photograph of the three of them together, uh, a picture of dead monkey, implied to be dead monkey, Dunstan, and Rich Uncle Pennybags. Uh, they're just all together, so it's implied they work together. And he says, if you don't give me enough fancy clothes that we can keep up this operation, it's back to the lab for you. Ha 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 I don't even sound like Rupert Everett anymore, but this sounds more like Rupert Everett than other times when I've used the Rupert Everett voice. Fa-ha-la-la. Um, so he takes himself seriously, pushes himself a little too hard, and busts his hand on a pane of glass or something, because he's upset at he's not as good at monkeying around as his partner in crime, and he wants to be the best chimp possible for whoever can love him, though his 
owner is an abusive prick. And he does all that. And it is at that point when he punches the mirror, he starts leaving a trail of blood and realizing he's, he's, he's done some wrong stuff. Uh, and it is then when Kid Precocious, who's pissed off because he and his brother got double-grounded for being blamed for uh, kicking Glenn Shaddix's dog off of a balcony, when there were no other witnesses, but Jason Alexander knows dog-related antics and anything bad happening to a hotel guest is the fault of his two crappy sons. So now, even when this week is over, they're not going to the Bahamas or anything. They're going to stay in this hotel, and he's not even going to get to go back to school. That's how much he's screwed up. So things are looking bad. But uh, through the use of a camera and finding the footage, because the, the, the monkey stole the camera because he knows how to hide from cameras, but the footage gets found... And with a trail of blood, and because he removes the glass from Dunstan's hand, because that's, you know, for kids, uh, Dunstan and Kid Precocious become precocious friends. And they form a law firm called Precocious and Dunstan. And stuff starts getting put together, and they, uh, start to formulate a plan. Most of it involves getting the brother in on it and Kid Precocious needs to clear his name and all that jazz. So, uh, that's what happens next. Well, might have a commercial here. I don't know. I'm all commercialed out. And I'm not making any money off of it. And, ah, we'll see. We'll find out in like three seconds. It's been several years since we last saw their adventures. Bum. Bum 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 bum. But this January, we're the Ewing family, and we run every oil field this side of the great state of Texas. But they're not the only ones coming back. And as long as we prove that oil runs thicker than blood, there's nothing that's gonna stop. Did you just throw poop at me? From Alternate Universal Pictures. I'm Sue Ellen and I need a drink. Sorry, Ma, but ever since JR died, nobody's cared about our antics, so we had to replace him with a monkey wearing a hat. I always knew you Ewings were descended from apes, but you take this to a whole new level. Hey, shut up, Cliff. Make me. Dunstan after his eyeballs. Ah, oh, my eyes, I don't need to use an eye patch right now. It's Dunstan does Dallas. Wait, no. No. No, that's the worst joke you've made so far. We can't allow this trailer to go any further. In theaters this January, because any movie starring a monkey is doomed to be released in January. Okay, so, commercial or not, the more I thought about it during the break, even if that break was, like, two seconds, I realize why I keep thinking about the laundry chute scene. It's because it's the best shot of the movie, because it's got both the monkey and Kid Precocious falling down a laundry chute and landing in laundry, but it shows him screaming at the camera because, haha, mugging for the camera is always what wins over little kids. 
if not for monkeys and precocious children and hotels and Jason and Alexander and pies being thrown in faces, but we'll get to that. But uh, the thing that led up to that is uh, he was befriending Dunstan, Kid Precocious was, and removing the glass from the hand or something. Um, when uh, Batty Warbucks entered the room and realized uh, he had made a friend that wasn't him and he is very codependent on that monkey. So uh, he followed the trail of blood and realized someone had teamed up with that monkey. And But he can't say he has a monkey because that would mean the jig was up on his entire steel, all the fancy olives and caviar and orange rinds and diamonds that just happen to show up at fancy gala balls. Uh, so he can't say he has a monkey, but he could say he caught Kid Precocious in the act of being mean to a rich guy, who he's figured out by this point, uh, by the way, uh, Rupert Everett has figured out that, uh, everyone's watching him and trying to accommodate him, so he says, lock your son up or something. I don't know why I'm Phil Hartman right now, but you get the point. I'm a slime dog. And so Jason Alexander begrudgingly accommodates, saying he's triple grounded and he is in fact going to be tied up in the boiler room because what an excellent father he is and he's slowly turning into Costanza for real. Um, because the point is, dear audience, they're having the big old, the big ball is tonight and the, the wealthy dowager, who I've also realized at this point is a parallel to Leona Helmsley. Like, I knew she was supposed to be some hotel proprietor, but she was too old to be Paris Hilton and too female to be Trump. So she's Leona Helmsley-based, which, if that's any sort of indicator about what a delightful woman she is supposed to be, I don't know what is. But she's there, and she, she's making sure the ball has... She says to Jason Alexander, everything must be perfect, otherwise you're out of a job. And, um... There's something in a weight room. Dunstan makes, uh... Knocks Glenn Shaddix out for no apparent reason because it's just funny when bad things happen to overweight men in the 90s. It's, it's kooky. It's kind of fun. It's not really, but that's just... That's the way of the world, baby! Uh... So now they're in dire straits. But, fortunately, uh, Dunstan busts Kid Precocious out at, in addition to checks in during this movie. And they formulate a plan that Dunstan has to pretend he's still working for Governor Ratcliffe or whatever. He, um... However, the, the brother, Neil... He's really good with cameras. They established this several times throughout the movie, but uh, I haven't mentioned it because I forgot about it. But the entire ending is uh, they gotta get uh, Kid Precocious out of there. But there's cameras all throughout the hotel, with an exception of outside windows, apparently. So they have Neil rig the camera so they have a loop of the hotel hall and the boiler room, and they just play that loop over and over whenever uh, Costanza's watching the screen. So they think that Kid Precocious is still locked up, when in actuality they're breaking him out. Um, this, by the way, is a total ripoff of the bus that couldn't slow down. I realize that. But the thing is, the bus that couldn't slow down, which was released two years before Dunstan checks in, is an R-rated action movie that 
no kids, the primary audience of Dunstan Checks In could see, but there's not much originality in this film, so they said it probably in the boardroom, why don't we just use the gimmick from the bus that couldn't slow down and pass it off in a kid's movie as something original, and they said, well, it's easier than writing a scene. Done. And so they did that. So they got Kid Precocious out of the basement, got them teaming up. Um, Meanwhile, they've got a bunch of scenes of the upper crust of society um, hobnobbing and bumping elbows and maybe even bumping uglies, it's implied. Uh, They've got Leona Helmsley, the wealthy dowager, walking around talking to people, trying to suck up to Rupert Murdoch. And... (laughs) God. Uh, so he is kind of watching to make sure Dunstan's still around there, uh, stealing pearl necklaces and glass slippers and Texas longhorn-shaped belt buckles and 10-gallon hats and other proclavities and trinkets and baubles of the expensive variety. Uh by the way, before all this happened, uh, the the rich jerk said to Dunstan, uh, you've got one last shot at this, otherwise I'm going to kill you. And then he turns his cane around and there's this weird claw thing on there because in case we haven't established how bad of a dude he is, he's got a retractable claw that pops out of the end of his cane that is implied to be used to torture poor innocent animals. So you, when this is happening, you actually hear Sarah McLaughlin and Louis Armstrong impersonators singing Arms of an Angel because, dear God, the amount of implied animal abuse and amount of animals that are going to die if action is not taken is through the goddamn roof. But we reach the final act of this film, the, the Hotel Denouement in the hotel, uh, and... How are things going to go down? Everyone's there. They even got Glenn Shaddix to show up in a Hawaiian shirt or something. Um, Shit's going to get real. So now the biggest ball you've ever seen is engaged entirely in full swing. Uh, We have Superintendent Chalmers looking around, making sure that Dunstan isn't collaborating with anybody else. And he's seeming to do his job well, uh, stealing all sorts of items. You see him steal a haunted mask from R.L. Stein, who is attending the party for some reason. It's actual R.L. Stein, not Jack Black R.L. Stein, not Don Bluth R.L. Stein. It's the real deal. But it was just a cute little cameo that he showed up in there, because that's what he's trying to do. Uh, you see him stealing that, and you see him look out, and, and then, uh, Duke Dynasty is looking down saying, okay, you're doing your job well, you can live another night. And he's just gathering all these items, and then they're cutting between Dunstan doing his thing, because, again, it's the climax of a movie, three things are going on. The second thing is Kid Precocious is trying to escape from the basement of the hotel and gets the tapes back from Neil, who is in the security room, and then make it back out to the ball. So that's the second thing going on, because uh, the concierges are on high alert, uh, direct orders from Costanza himself, to uh, shoot his son on sight. He gave with tearful directions, or at the very least report him to the local authorities, who are lining the room, because there's a lot of rich people in a room in one place. Um, Inevitably, the end of the ball, they're going to find a poor person and tase them for the amusement of the rich and powerful. 
because it's just not a rich and powerful party unless a poor person gets hurt by police. And so they're all there, so Kid Precocious has to watch out for concierges and policemen and nasty people. Uh, if they had made a Dunstan Jackson video game, I assure you, dear audience, there'd be a level where you play as Kid Precocious trying to sneak through the hotel Metal Gear Solid style. Uh, third thing going on is just the... We've got Dunstan, we've got... Um, we have Kid Precocious, then we just have George Costanza watching everything carefully. Like, all, all the rich people going on. You see everyone there. Um, eventually, though, Kid Precocious precociously accomplishes his high-risk mission, gets the tape from Neil in the computer room, who has gotten exactly what he needs to see, because I forgot to mention earlier, when, uh, before the ball began, um, Dunstan set up a camera in his own room with a, the evil dude, Mortimer Goth, whatever, uh, he sets up a camera, because he had stolen the camera earlier from... George Costanza's room, because Kid Precocious was trying to prove that Dunstan exists, because there was this whole ETS plot saying, no, they're seriously an orangutan, or chimpanzee, or something, I'm young and precocious, I don't need to know my animals, but he's here, and he's real, believe me, and the dad is just, I don't have time for this, son, just like any good movie where there is a cute little animal, or alien, or muppet, or something, uh, but only the little kid can see him until it's the end of the movie, because the plot would be resolved if the dad saw it any time earlier. But uh, he tried to get the camera, but Dunstan stole the camera, but set up the camera in the room as the, the bad guy was making threats about sending him back to the lab, and he says something along the... He also mentions the plot that he's doing because, of course, he has to soliloquy for everybody, including an audience of people that are actually in the movie. And he says, I'll kidnap a thousand monkeys before I let this operation die. And you see that scene. And then when you realize, uh, Neil, I got a hold of the tape and hands it off, camcorder and all, to Kid Precocious, and, um, things are going to be pretty good. Um, this point, Dunstan is, uh, trying to take stuff from the chandelier, you see him swinging around up there, because he's taking care of all the footwork and things that are going on under tables, and then, just as he's in the central chandelier, Kid Precocious bursts through the door, and says, Baron Harkonnen is full of shit, and I've got the tapes to prove it, and they're right here, and he throws the camcorder on the floor, and it breaks, and Dunstan is watching from the chandelier and he face palms. And fortunately, the tape doesn't break. Neil breaks in, knowing that Kid Precocious would do something like that. He says, I saved them all on files. And he puts the three and a half inch floppy disk, which I guess is enough to hold a cassette. You know, I think he just made doubles of the cassettes. He didn't have a three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk. It was something else where somebody threw a computer on the ground and then some other guy remembered to back everything up on floppy disk or zip disk or something. I don't remember that movie. Uh, I haven't seen that in a... Whatever it was, it's a movie I 
some obscure thing I haven't seen in years. But uh, he says, no, I, I made a backup of the thing. That's what happens if you're an AV-sided guy like I am. And he just pops it in the cassette because uh, hotel ballrooms have cassette players all the time. And professional AV dude, Neil, the older brother, shows the, the video of it, the guy saying, I kidnap a thousand chimpanzees. And... It's at this point that he just pulls out a gun and says, well, this is all said and done, but there's one thing left to do. Have my revenge. And he pulls out his gun, spins the revolver, and is about to shoot it at Dunstan, who is still hanging out on the center of the chandelier. But at that point, he's standing in front of the cake, and at an earlier point in this, right when he was stealing all the shoes, Dunstan's eating a banana because, of course, he is. And he drops the banana peel, and right when he's about to do that, the criminal formerly known as Prince uh, slips on the banana peel and falls in the cake back first, uh, but his gun goes off in slow motion, and it starts playing the, uh, I want to swing from the chandelier song as uh, it goes into slow motion. The gun goes off, and it looks like it hits Dunstan, who um, falls from the chandelier and lands in Kid Precocious's arms before he hits the ground. And everyone's appalled and sad because an animal appears to have been hurt. But uh, the police come and surround a Bad Apple Fritter and say, you're under arrest for being a, a jerk to animals. And Dunstan, however, uh, it looks like he's in trouble, but he feels himself around and realizes he hasn't been shot at all. And he gets up and smooches Kid Precocious, wraps his arms around him and kisses him, and he laughs. And it's at that point when Costanza realizes the error of his ways, that the monkey was real all along, and maybe he's been working a little too hard on his career and not hard enough on being a dad. And he walks up to uh, the wealthy dowager and says, with all due respect, ma'am, I quit. And he picks up a piece of the cake that uh, the, the, the bad guy had fallen in and shoves it in her face. And she says, oh no, that's right, no, she says, you're fired because the, the ball went completely wrong because his son did that thing. And that's when he says, hey, with all due respect, bitch, I quit. And shoves the cake in his face. But because you fired me first, I get severance pay, ha ha. And she goes, no, And then after she's getting brought to heel, um, Glenn Shaddix walks up and says, hi. I'm the secret shopper guy, and congratulations, you're not a five-star hotel, you're now a one-star hotel, because I was injured by several things over the course of the movie and tried to register my complaints, but we're just not having that, and it's just too much for the wealthy dowager. She faints and falls face-first into the cake, and because she no longer has dignity and has fallen into a public property or some private property, uh, the police also arrest her because, hey, take that bourgeoisie, 
you all have to be arrested and sent to communist jail because as such to rich people, they get their comeuppance in a 90s movie because socialism is awesome. So, um, the guy, Costanza with his severance pay in tow, leaves with his sons and their new pet monkey and escape to an island and it's pretty good and it's wonderful. Uh, the last shot of the movie is uh, Glenn Shaddix saying, uh, that's quite enough for a hotel visit. I've had enough surprises for one day. And, the, and while it's showing this, you see the chandelier unraveling because it got shot by... It got, it got shot by King Joffrey uh, in the climax of the movie. The chandelier falls and smashes, and you could just tell Glenn Shaddix has had a heart attack. And then it freeze frames on that, and it starts playing Shake, Rattle, and Roll, the theme song from this movie. And that was it. That was Dunstan checks in. The bad guys got what they deserved. The good guys realized the true meaning of family, I guess. And the comic relief had a heart attack. How truly wonderful. The book closes, and it goes back on a shelf. The end. Final thoughts on Dunstan Checks In. They probably should have called it Writer's Phone In. Ah, ah look at me, Roger Ebert. Ah, but seriously, it's a good movie for something with kids and monkeys as the prominent character, so that's uh, not saying very much. That's, again, one of those 70-foot hills, but it's still something. It's it's not very memorable of a film. I mean, the things that I remember a lot of were just monkey antics. When he makes out with the woman, when he falls down the garbage chute with Kid Precocious, Kyle, whatever. It's not total review mode, I can say. His name's Kyle. That, that, that weirded me out that there was a, as a child, there was somebody else in a movie with the name the same as me. I, I don't know why. I was a weird kid. But, um, I remember that. I remember the thing with the camera. And he does something with the toilet. I, I can't not remember what it was. And trying to make a joke about a toilet when there actually is a joke with the toilet just feels weird. So I neglected to bring that up. But I knew it was a thing that happened. But most of it was just uh, animal stuff. I couldn't remember the order that things happened other than things that happened. I remember that he got a lot of glass and blood in him, and there's a weird thing where Kyle's pulling glass out of a monkey, and it seems pretty realistic, so, hey, ASPCA, what you gonna do today? Uh, Rupert Everett's alright, he's pretty nasty and malicious as the, the bad dude. Um, Jason Alexander's a dad. The, the, the secretary. I don't even remember if the secretary... What happens to the secretary. Because I know they do end up on an island at the end. And Glenn Shaddix has, just can't catch a break at the end. So, in actuality, it's a coconut that falls in his head before the credits roll. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a typical E.T. knockoff wearing cute animal. That's an actual animal because, hey, uh, meets up with a kid... Nobody believes that this non-human thing has befriended the small child. 
and hijinks ensue, only by the way, it's in a hotel. Uh, what I didn't remember until I had gone through the entire movie and realized it's not really a Home Alone 2 scenario where it's being in a hotel and there's hotel-related jokes. It's just... No, that actually kind of holds up the plot where uh, this con artist hits up multiple hotels and is mistaken for a secret shopper where he's actually a con artist who's stealing supplies via a monkey. And it's not about tricking hotel staff on the part of the protagonist, it's the antagonist tricking the hotel staff, and that's not really a big part of the movie. It's more, hey, there's a monkey, look at him. And I don't remember much of the ending, obviously. He does something in a ball, and the entire climax is in a ball. Phrasing. Uh... And the hotel does get demoted because Glenn Shaddix actually is the secret shopper that they could have easily seen because I think he's sitting around in the back of the photographs of the the bad guy. Because that's why they believed it. It wasn't because he was rich. It's because they had photographs of him being at major events at major hotels because conveniently that's when he could do most of his dirty work. So, com- conflict of it, comedy of errors is what I'm thinking. It is late right now. But, uh, yeah, that all happened. So, for a, a plot perspective, all right, maybe it wasn't phoned in. The jokes were phoned in because they just used animal gags to pull stuff off. But the plot and the putting together of the, the B-plot with the the tourist guy, not the tourist guy, I'm trying to think what he is, he's the, the man from some place, that's what they kept calling him, and everything got screwed up, and that was kind of clever, that they had the B-plot about that, and the rich person got what they deserved, because he was apparently really mean, but they didn't really go into that outside of character development, because the secretary explains the situation, and I don't even remember what happens to the secretary, maybe she gets put in charge or something, whatever. Uh, it's a forgettable movie. Except for the parts where the animal does something cute, which I think was the point in the first place. I honestly think they would have made sequels to it, given the opportunity, but it didn't do anything special, so nothing became of it. But hey, it was fun to think about it, and it's a good contender for, wow, I forgot a lot of this movie. Uh, I probably have to do Hocus Pocus first, but I found out I do have Hocus Pocus with me, so that may get an actual watch through in the next couple weeks, because, hey, Halloween in January is spectacular. All right, uh, my final thoughts have gone on really long. It's a decent movie. Uh, I can't wait to rewatch it, to be honest, and I probably will do that for a rewatch special episode sometime later in the year. But, hey, we're in 2019. We're back to you never know what movie it's going to be next, so in the meantime, like, comment, subscribe... I don't even think you can do that on Anchor, but spread the link, spread the love, and spread the cassettes. Until next time, with a movie I don't even know yet, I am your boy Kyle saying toodles. Uh...